the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt podcast, bringing to you the best voices on the stories and issues that matter. Helping make it all possible is the generous partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. Here's another piece I'll trust you enjoy. Joined now by the former Secretary of State, the 70th Secretary of State in the United States, Michael Pompeo. Mr. Secretary, good morning. How are you? Good morning, Hugh. I'm great. How are you today? Good. I enjoyed being with you on Tuesday night via Zoom. And I must say the exchange between you and Henry Kissinger was telling. Dr. Kissinger's esteem for you is significant. Your esteem for him is significant. I kind of thought that was a sort of passing of a baton from one geostrategist to another. Were you surprised by Dr. Kissinger, both his energy, his insight and his kindness towards you? Uh, You know, his kindness towards me, Hugh, has been remarkable, not just uh, this past week, but for the uh, entire time in my time in Congress. And then uh, more importantly, when I was Secretary of State, I I called on him a number of times for helping me think through particular problem sets, reminding me of particular histories. He was always incredibly valued. In that sense, I wasn't surprised by sharpness. I have seen that for all the time I have known him. He is a historic figure, a remarkable man, and someone who is still very much engaged on the world stage and was prepared to help me and the Trump administration uh, think about problem sets in ways that uh, were incredibly important, incredibly creative, and helped us deliver on our American First Four policy. You know, I'm going to make that available from the Nixon seminar for everyone because it was so remarkable to see Dr. Kissinger. But I almost went through the Zoom screen to grab Congressman Gallagher when he asked Dr. Kissinger about AI because I figured, look, the guy's 97. He's not going to be really up to speed on AI. And he said, well, I've been meeting with Eric Schmidt every Sunday for four years on it. And I said, oh, gosh, never underestimate Kissinger, right? Uh, it was truly, truly remarkable. I, I, I think it made everyone chuckle to see that he is still hard at it, still trying to learn himself think that's a lesson for everybody. Uh, he is still trying to make sure that he has the best information, as much knowledge as anybody, so that he can apply uh, all the skills that he developed all of his years. If, if each of us would take that on as a, a practice, a professional practice, I think we'd all be better off. Well, I want to learn a few things about CPAC and about your ambitions this morning. First of all, great speech at CPAC. I played a lot of it on uh, Monday of this week. Uh, what did you make of CPAC? Because, of course, the narrative, the elite media, Manhattan Beltway media elite uh, narrative is that the Republican Party is shattered into a thousand shards and they're at each other's throats. I didn't see that. What did you see at CPAC? Yeah, I think we saw at CPAC precisely what we saw on November 3rd, which is that there are tens of millions of Americans who deeply believe that the policies that this administration put in place for four years were the right thing for people all across America. I, I had a chance to, to walk around the hotel for a bit and shake hands and meet a few people, people from the West Coast, people from the heartland, like Kansas, places like Kansas, my home. Um, every one of them understood that uh, this is going to be a truly testing four years. They're going to reverse a great deal of the uh, good policy work that we did that had made lives better for ordinary people all across America. And they're about to embark on a foreign policy as well that won't put America first, but rather uh, will begin to value uh, globalism for the sake of globalism, which is much to the detriment of the American people. 
Now, I get asked all the time after that speech and after the Nixon seminar, is Secretary Pompeo going to run for president in 2024? I send him to the Hannity show where you say, I'm always up for a good fight. And then I say, hell yes, he's running. Uh, can you be more explicit than you were with Hannity? Do you expect to run in 2024? Hugh, I love you, brother. But no, um, I, uh, <laughs> uh, look, I, 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 I gave that answer to Sean because it's the truth. And I, I think you, um, anybody who's watched uh, me and my wife Susan these last uh, 10 years, and then saw my time in service as a soldier knows that I care deeply about uh, America and I want to do my best to give back to this country that's done so much for me. And so I'm going to work really hard these next two years to continue to put forward the right ideas for America, help candidates get elected in 2022. And then in the months and years ahead, we'll see what uh, life holds for 2024. All right. Well, if you won't tell Hannity, you're not going to tell me. But I, I nevertheless still tell people, hell yes, he's running. Let me talk to you about issues now. There is an American contractor dead at al-Assad after the first attack by the Shia-based militias that are backed by Iran. The Biden administration did strike an Iranian target in Syria. Nothing has happened after the second attack. Is that a mistake, Mr. Pompeo? You, I saw some remarks from the Pentagon spokesperson yesterday where he was repeatedly asked about this attack. and He called it a Shia-backed attack, and the reporter was befuddled. <laughs> The first rule is you have to identify the perpetrator. The perpetrator here is almost certainly the Iranian regime. And that's the policy that the Trump administration put in place. We made clear to the Iranians that we weren't going to allow you to use some knuckleheads in the desert to harm and threaten Americans and not hold the Iranian regime itself accountable. And so uh, I don't know precisely the strike that they took after the first attack. It certainly didn't demonstrate uh, the effect that they would have hoped, which was to deter further attacks. You, you have to go to the source. You have to hold accountable the people responsible. And the people responsible for putting American lives at risk in Syria, in Iraq today, the Iranian regime. And so I hope that they'll respond in a way that protects Americans. Um, the, so far, the, the evidence that they're going to do anything forceful with respect to Iran is, uh, is, not, in, is not apparent. Now, Mr. Secretary, as someone who had family deployed at al-Assad when the ballistic missiles were launched, uh, they got off in time. I am always concerned. I wanted the Americans to respond to every Iranian provocation because that kept them in their box. I think that the uh, families and the troops who are stationed in the Middle East right now want an immediate response. Is that what you heard from the soldiers with whom you used to serve and other branches of the service in the area? They want immediate responses? Of course they do, Hugh. Uh, and more importantly, they deserve that. And America needs it. It is the duty of every leader, and I spent an awful lot of time, a lot of sleepless nights as CIA director and secretary of state, making sure that my officers at the CIA or my diplomats at the State Department had every security element they needed, and that our policies, the things that we did, the actions that we took all across the world, deterred others, deterred our adversaries from even contemplating attacking them. Um, I was blessed. I didn't have an officer or a diplomat who was killed during my time in office. That was partly due to the great work of my team and then the grace of God. But we took this seriously. We took the responsibility to protect our soldiers and our diplomats all across the world seriously, and we did it with good effect. Now, I don't know whether I should be alarmed by this or less alarmed by this, but yesterday, Congressman Dan Crenshaw remarked upon President Biden having diminished cognitive capacity because he called Texans Neanderthals. But I do worry about who is deciding whether or not to respond. I don't know that the president is leaning into this. I know he's, uh, Robert Gates on this show said not only was he wrong about every foreign policy decision for the past uh, generation, but that he had a bad relationship with the Pentagon. That was news when he said it on my show last year. It didn't get a lot of pickup, but I've been thinking about that since. Are, do you think the president has a good 
uh, working relationship with General, now Secretary Austin, do you think he has a suspicion of the use of military force? Well, I, I don't know uh, his relationship precisely with um, all the folks at the Pentagon. I, I would guess that it is varied. But I do know this. I, I do know that President Biden, uh, when he was a vice president and a senator, uh, often got it wrong with respect to thinking about how to use American power to deter American adversaries and to protect and preserve freedoms all across America. I watched it in policy after policy where they uh, they apologized for America instead of defending the basic freedoms that we loved. And when it came time for preserving and protecting other democracies around the world, um, they were often willing to give in to the Chinese Communist Party or the Iranians or others who don't share our view of life. And uh, when uh, push comes to shove, aim to undermine the very democracies that America has been so blessed to have for all these years. Now, I am concerned as well about their early actions. One of his first executive orders was to reverse your move and President Trump's move on the Confucius Institutes. Now, a lot of Steelers fans listen, so they won't know what a Confucius Institute is, Secretary, so you have to explain to them. But that was a very bad signal to send, I think. What did you make of it? The Chinese Communist Party presents the most uh, existential threat to the American way of life of any other adversary. Xi Jinping and the leadership there have a hegemonic intent. They want to undermine our way of life. The Confucius Institutes themselves are something that the Chinese have built out here in the United States. Frankly, Hugh, under Democrat and Republican presidents, this hasn't been a, a partisan failure. It's been a bipartisan failure. And they're in our schools. They're trying to use uh, their access to Western freedoms to propagandize inside of our schools all across America. So many colleges had these things called Confucius Institutes, which were largely an extension of the People's Liberation Army and the Chinese MSS, their security apparatus. The Trump administration issued an executive order. We began to make the case to schools to close them down. Many of them did. And immediately upon entry into government, these folks uh, shut it down and continued to encourage the Confucius Institutes to be built out. It is dangerous for America. And I hope that they'll rethink that. I hope they'll see what we saw is happening inside of these schools. And frankly, I hope every school that has a Confucius Institute will take it upon themselves to protect their students from this threat. Uh, Mr. Secretary, if we elect our next president based upon who the Chinese dislike the most, the Chinese communists, you'll win running away because they really hate you. Uh, I mean, they, every time you show up and say something, uh, the CCP puts out one of their talking heads to attack you. Are you going to just get used to that? In, you know, Hugh, I've, I've watched the Chinese Communist Party react with uh, personal attacks on me. Uh, they've sanctioned my, me and, and my family. Uh, you know, I, I think it's a demonstration of weakness. I think they can see that when leaders are prepared to push back against them, uh, they don't have many answers other than to attack that person individually and personally. Uh, yeah, you know, you don't get used to it other than um, you do begin to recognize when you have hit on something that matters an awful lot, whether it is calling them out for the Wuhan virus and their failure to protect the United States and the world from the virus or spread from their country or the terrible activities that are taking place, the million Uyghur Muslims that are in internment camps and have suffered forced sterilizations and all the horrors that are taking place in the West. I think when uh, leaders talk about that, you can see the Chinese response, and you know when they are sensing weakness and you've, you've attacked at a point which really hurts them. Now, Congressman Michael Waltz, and there I always have to note, my son worked for him, so I have to always disclose that, but Congressman Michael Waltz put out a resolution calling on uh, his members, his colleagues in Congress, to join in demanding that the United States boycott the 2022 Olympics in China. Do you agree with that resolution, Secretary Pompeo? We were working on this very issue during the final months of the Trump administration, trying to figure out the best approach. The approach would impose the most costs on the Chinese Communist Party. 
Uh, so our first push was to develop a coalition around the world to convince the IOC to move those games. They ought not to be held there. I hope that our athletes get a chance to participate in the Olympics. Uh, they very much deserve that. But in the end, we cannot allow American athletes to travel to Beijing and reward the Chinese Communist Party all the while that they are doing all of the nasty activity that they're engaged in, all of the malign activity they're engaged in around the world. The, the, the world ought to unite. The Olympics are an expression of freedom and, and athletic talent, and to hold them in Beijing is completely inappropriate. Now, I also have to discuss, I work for NBC. NBC is scheduled to broadcast those Olympics. So that's a conflict of interest on my part. The Washington Post will probably be covering. That's a conflict of interest on my part. But I'm going to ask you anyway, does everyone who facilitates these games and every sponsor of these games, whether it's McDonald's or GM, whoever likes to go, because the, the games get a big audience and people sell a lot of stuff. Are they participating indirectly or directly in the genocide that you and Tony Blinken, your successor, agree is underway in China. They are trying to wipe out the Uyghur people, and we have to bluntly ask CEOs everywhere to ask themselves the question, do they want blood on their hands? Hugh, I've done that. I've talked to CEOs from the entertainment industry, from the technology industry, from manufacturing companies. I, I called them. I spoke with them personally. I wanted to share with them to make sure there was no mistake that they knew what was taking place there. And I wanted to urge them, don't be part of that. Uh, we know the history of the 1930s. We know how many uh, senior leaders uh, turned the other eye when uh, there was a Holocaust taking place in Germany. The kind of things that's happening in China today are reminiscent of that. And I think uh, senior leaders, governmental leaders, business leaders, leaders of nonprofits all need to take seriously their responsibility and make sure that what the things that they're doing, the activities they're engaged in, don't contribute either directly or indirectly into furthering the Chinese Communist Party's capacity to wipe out this entire class of people. Sure. And by the way, I don't know why Americans don't get it about the Uyghurs. Maybe because we don't understand it. I know you made efforts to understand it. Do you think American media discounts the Uyghur people, that they just don't value them, that they weigh, that for example, the way they value any other ethnic minority that is uh, represented in the United States in large numbers? You, I think this is changing. I think it took uh, American leaders who were prepared to call this out, and I have seen this. I've seen the tide turning on this issue. I now see the world more alert to this. The Canadians have acted. Uh, the Dutch have acted. Uh, I'm hopeful the British will take action. I actually see people becoming more aware of this. I hope the uh, Muslim world, I hope Islamic countries will come to see this too, that these are their brothers and sisters in faith. I hope they too will begin to call that out. We, we worked on this to the extent you can. Uh, you can make the case to people of what's really happening there. I think people of all faiths, uh, will come to understand that this is unacceptable. And I'm, I'm convinced that the world will hold China accountable for what it is that's taking place there today. Two last questions, Mr. Secretary. Germany and Turkey present unique problems. Germany is building this Nord Stream 2 despite your best efforts, and the Biden administration doesn't seem to care, which is going to undercut Ukraine and strengthen Russia. And Turkey has bought Russian anti-aircraft. Can we really think of NATO as NATO anymore if Germany and Turkey, are they really allies if they're going to help out Russia? Turkey is a complicated situation for sure. Uh, we imposed an enormous sanction. We denied the Turks the capacity to either manufacture or fly F-35 aircraft. Uh, we, we slowed them down a bit, they, um, uh, but they continue to persist in buying Russian aircraft. That is inconsistent with their obligations to NATO, and we made clear that we would impose continued costs on them if they headed down that path. Uh, Germany is a, a fine ally. Uh, the Germans' challenge is that they have not been prepared to spend German taxpayer resources and to build a military with German young men and women that was 
consistent with their power and their resources. And so President Trump put as much pressure as he could on them to continue to make sure they weren't free riding on the United States inside of NATO. And, you know, this pipeline, this pipeline is a complicated issue. We concluded ultimately that this was a uh, pipeline that had strategic importance and was going to benefit the Russians. So we put sanctions on companies that were engaged in it. We slowed this pipeline down tremendously. It's m- multiple years behind. This administration is going to allow the pipeline to continue to be built, creating European jobs, and they shut down a pipeline in the United States that destroys American jobs. It's a real head-scratcher, Hugh. Last question. I've asked this of a lot of people. Do you personally expect President Biden to be leading the Democrats in 2024 in the election of that November? You know, I'll just leave that to the Democrat Party to decide who their leader is. I'm very focused on making sure that the conservative movement and the ideas that I worked so hard on alongside President Trump for four years continues to advance. Have you stood up a website yet, Mr. Secretary, so people can know what you're up to and what you're doing? Uh, nope. I have a Twitter account at, at Mike Pompeo. That, that's all I've got for today. All right. For the time being, Secretary Pompeo, come back early and often. Always a pleasure. Thank you, Thank sir. Thank you, Hugh. So long, sir. Thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review. Our program is coming today in partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. It's America's most unique graduate leadership program offered on Pepperdine's breathtaking campus in Malibu, California. Learn more at publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. If you're enjoying the podcast, please tell a friend to go to Town Hall Review and sign up as well today. This is Carol Platt-Lebow of Yankee Institute for townhall.com. Cancel culture struck again, this time aiming for Justice Clarence Thomas and the books of the late Dr. Seuss. February was Black History Month. As if to make clear its hypocrisy, Amazon stopped streaming the inspiring documentary about Justice Clarence Thomas, Created Equal. It's a great African-American success story. Thomas chronicles his rise from poverty in segregated Georgia to the Supreme Court, brilliantly defending our founding principles. Dr. Seuss has been charged with incorporating racist images in some of his classic books. Now six of them will no longer be published. Cancel culture can't stand either man because both proclaim the principle enshrined in our Constitution. All people are created equal, regardless of skin color. And for some today, that idea is a mortal threat. Those who can't defend their views in the marketplace of ideas instead try to shut down the entire market. It's our job to say no. I'm Carol Platt-Lebow.